Why don't we give a shout of praise? Well, we do thank you, God, that you are a living God. That, that's just incredible, just in itself, that you are not a God who is dead. You're not far off, but God, you are a living God. And you offer us a living hope. And you are a God who speaks, a God who is interested in our lives, interested even in what's going on in our lives in this day. And Father, you speak into our lives. And we want to thank you, Father God, that today we have an opportunity to hear from your word, your word to us. And Father, I want to pray that we would be open to all that you would have to say. Father, we were created by you and we created for you. We find life in you. Speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. And I also want to add my welcome to anyone here. Maybe you're visiting, maybe you're passing through. Um, but we'd love to be a welcoming church. So I welcome you and look forward to connecting with different ones after the service. And I also want to say Happy New Year to you all as well. This is my first service back after having some time away uh, with family. Went up to Harvey Bay and also had some time with family in Stanthorpe. So Happy New Year. And uh, at this time of year, I often find myself either at the end of an email or just a conversation saying, I hope this year is full of God's blessing over your life or will be blessed in 2020. But I wonder if you've ever thought about what, what is the actual meaning of blessing? Have you ever wondered that? What's the meaning of blessing? When you say, oh, maybe may God bless you this year, what, what are you asking or what are you wanting of God or what does that mean uh, in the Bible? Well, actually, these days, um, the term blessed is um, becoming quite popular on social media, Instagram or Twitter. Uh, one of the most popular hashtags is hashtag blessed. Uh, so if you, something great happens to you, if you're very thankful for something you would put up on Instagram or Twitter, hashtag blessed. So let me just give you a few illustrations. I've taken the people out, but people would say, oh, enjoying a holiday. Hopefully you got to enjoy a good holiday over Christmas, maybe somewhere like this. They put up a photo on Instagram, hashtag blessed. I mean, that is a blessing, is it? It is. Uh, maybe others would say, um, I've just got a new car. There's a photo of the new car, there it is, what a real gift, um, hashtag blessed, uh, a new car. Uh, maybe others, if you look on uh, social media, it's a new job. Maybe you've got a new job this year, others have got new jobs. Um, new job starting this year, hashtag blessed. Another one um, I saw there was a new home, moving into a new home, uh, beautiful home, we are hashtag blessed. I actually looked on Twitter there yesterday and I saw someone got a new home, a new car and a new job all in a month of October. They were seriously hashtag blessed. But as we look at the, the word blessed or blessing and we look in these illustrations, we see the blessing is generally seen when something good is happening to us. When, when we are receiving maybe what we want when things are going our way, we are seen as blessed, hashtag blessed. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I hope many of you uh, had a great holiday. You're blessed by that. Hope some of you got a new car, maybe even for Christmas. That'd be great. You'd be blessed. There's nothing wrong with these things. But what I want to communicate here today as we look at the Scriptures is that idea of blessing is selling it far, far short. 
The, the word blessed means something far deeper and far greater than just the good things that we acquire or the good things that are bestowed upon us. I mean, if that's our understanding of blessing, let me tell us all today that we are selling ourselves short. There is so much more from God, such a deeper meaning of being blessed than what that uh, communicates. So we're continuing in our summer series, and I thought we would look at uh, Psalm 1, which speaks of the blessed one. Blessed is the one, it starts off. So if you open up your Bibles or you can look up on the screen, we'll read Psalm 1 together. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction." As we look at this psalm today, I want to just ask a few questions of it. The first question I want to ask is, what is blessing? And what does blessing look like in our lives? The second question I want to look at after we look at that is, why does blessing seem to be so elusive? And third, how can we actually experience this blessing? So let's have a look at that first question. What is blessing? Now, if we look at this passage and look at how it's translated, the the text and the the language that's used, um, the word blessed is also translated in some translations, oh, how happy is the one who, or oh, the joy of the man who, or oh, how very happy. That's the idea of this Blessed. The man that is blessed is uh, full of happiness, full of joy, um, a deep sense of satisfaction, a deep sense of contentment is given in this word, word um, blessed. And as I go out throughout this um, sermon, you'll find me using lots of these different words, contentment, satisfaction, joy, um, happiness, lasting happiness. That, that's, that's how we can describe this word blessed using all these words. And it's not so much an external, coming from an external place, but it's actually talking about an internal life. If we look at Psalm as it it speaks about the one who is blessed, it is about an internal blessing, an internal joy, an internal happiness. So in Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, we read, Blessed, or happy is the one, joyful is the one, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed who's the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit, the purity. So internally, there's this passage here says it's an internal life free from guilt, free from fear of the punishment of sin, free connection with God. And that leads to an internal blessing, an internal peace, an internal joy and satisfaction. 
In Psalm 34, 8, it says, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Again, it's this sense of a, a deep trust, a deep uh, sense of security because that person, that man is finding joy or, or happiness because they are finding refuge in God. Again, it's an internal thing. It's actually an incredible um, reality that we all seek for, deep satisfaction, deep joy, deep happiness. Tim Keller, when he looks at this, he says, one of the, the, the most staggering realities in this psalm is that this is even possible. When we read about this joy, about this happiness, he said the first thing we probably should be is just staggered that it is even possible. He says you probably find yourself in, in four different camps as you listen to the possibility of this deep happiness. He said, firstly, and probably the younger people among us probably grew up and are growing up thinking, well, everyone's happy, aren't they? It's just everyone's happy, There's, uh, it's, it's fine. Um, unless something really is going wrong, everything is happy. And as he said, that's the younger people, the younger generation. Children grow up thinking that's what life is all about. He said, secondly, on the other hand, there'll be people here who've just been through the trials of life, through the challenges of life, the pain and the suffering of life, and they'll be up the other end, and they'll say, well, this happiness, this joy that you speak about is not even possible. Could we ever feel like that in the broken world that we live in? And then he said the third type of person is probably oscillating between those two things. Maybe we can experience happiness and maybe the, the world is too broken, it's too painful for me to ever experience happiness. And he says you probably oscillate between the two of them depending on your circumstances. And probably more than anything, you're too busy to even think about whether you're happy or not. And then fourthly, he said the fourth type is those that have actually experienced the depths of the joy and the happiness and the contentment that this speaks of. And for us to understand the meaning of this term blessedness, of this reality of this peace, this deep joy in our lives, the clearest way we can see it in looking at this psalm is looking at the image or the picture that the psalmist gives. In verse three, it says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. There's this picture of a tree. This blessed life is pictured as a tree. It's one of my favorite images uh, within the Bible. A life that is like a tree planted beside a stream of water. Uh, I asked Kay Redmond, um, an artist, to paint my wife a picture of this, and we've got it on our, um, in our dining room, this picture of a tree planted beside a stream and producing fruit. And as you look at that tree, it's, it's very clear, one of the first things that come to mind is the strength of that tree. I don't know how old that tree is, maybe 100 plus years, but I have no doubt it's basically immovable. It is so strong, that tree, as you look at it. And over those hundreds of years, I'm sure there's winds that have blown. I'm sure there's storms that have come. I'm sure there's floods that have come, maybe floods rushing past that tree. But in all of it, it is unmovable. It is unshakable. 
And one of the things that attracts me to this image is that I want, I desire that my life be like that. Because I find my life can be so fragile, can't it? That when the winds change, circumstances change, when the pressure is on, that there's a fragility, not such a strength as I look at that tree. And so I desire to have a strength in my life that is like that tree. The second thing as you look at that, that picture is it's, it's healthy, it's flourishing, it's, it produces fruit is what it says in season in this passage. The fruit, when, when the busyness is on in life, when the stress is on in life, that it produces good fruit. A life that would produce kindness, a life that would produce patience, love, forgiveness. That's what I desire in my life, that there's a, a health in my life that produces fruit in all seasons, no matter what the circumstances are in my life at that time. What, what words come to mind as you look at that tree? Secure, maybe. Unshakable. Consistent. Peace, there's a sense of peace around the tree. There's a depth with the tree. And through the droughts and the storm of life, there's a steadfastness. Is that not an attractive picture for us in 2020? That we would be like this tree. Over Christmas, as I mentioned, I went back to Stanthorpe, um, where, as you know, they're in drought. And I went back to my brother's property there, and there's particularly one um, ridge that we were looking at. And as we looked at it, there were all these things that I'd never seen before. I mean, I grew up on this farm, I don't know how many hundreds or thousand times I would have looked at this ridge. But as I looked at it this time, I saw rocks and boulders that I'd never seen before. And actually this, this ridge, I looked at it and I, I could actually see a house through the trees that I'd never seen before. And the reality was with the drought that many trees, it was just barren and dry and many trees, gum trees, pine trees that had been there for many, many years had died. And now it was so much more bare that you could look through and see all these things that I'd never seen before. But literally, maybe let me say 100 metres or 150 metres from that same ridge was this large tree. I think it's a gum tree, large tree that is flourishing. It's green because it's planted right next to a stream, right next to the dam. Now, these, these streams dry and this dam's dry, but underground there is a stream of water that this tree is drawing from. And here we see in the most tough situations, the difference between these two trees is the source the source of water, they have access. This, this healthy tree has access to a water source that makes all the difference. And as we look at our lives and wanting to be that steadfast tree, the key in this passage is that if we wanna be that tree, if we wanna have this deep-seated joy, contentment, happiness in our life, there's this image that it's connected to a water source. It's connected to something outside of itself. The tree will not prosper on its own. The trees on the mountain, on that ridge, they died in the middle of the drought. The one connected to a source outside of itself is always, always have a fundamental, a lasting steadfastness and joy in it. That's the life. 
And as we look at this passage, we find that this man, this blessed man has this in God. And I wanna tell you, that is what God is all about. God has created us for him. We're created by him. And we find life, we find a steadfastness, we find a peace and a joy that's disconnected and independent of the situations and circumstances in our life by connecting with him. That's the gospel. When we turn to God, we turn back to him and his life comes, his Holy Spirit comes and lives within us as new birth that comes. That is the source of joy. That is the source of strength, not ourselves. We know the weakness of ourselves. We've got nothing within ourselves. But when we draw from God and the life of God, we find this joy we find this happiness, this contentment, and the strength that is seen is the, in the blessed life. Peter puts it this way. He says, for you have been born again. There is new life in Jesus, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Christ now in us. After graduating as a, a phys ed teacher in 2012, um, in 2000, my, my first posting was actually back to Stanthorpe where I began teaching. And the phys ed um, staff room was shared with ag teachers uh, there in Stanthorpe. And to be honest, uh, this staff room was a, quite a negative place. Like, I don't know, I haven't been in too many um, staff rooms, but this one was, there was often complaining about the situations and circumstances of school, maybe the students, what was going on. But there was one teacher in there that was different from the rest. Ken Taylor was his name. He was an ag teacher. He was a, an elder at the Baptist church, and he would have this bounce about him. He would have a joy about him. And he worked with some of the toughest students in the class, teaching ag, kids not wanting to be there, probably wanting to be back at home on the farm. He worked with them, and he always had a gentleness, a patience, and a care with the students. There was something different about him. But that difference became even clearer in that next year when he was diagnosed and, you know, finally passed away with cancer. But the thing that I remember about Ken Taylor is that on his last visit, he came in to see students and staff at the school. He was the same. There was still a joy about him. There was still a, he was still laughing. And I ask, like, he was in the greatest drought of life you could ever have. What, what's, what's gonna bring him joy at that time of life? No career, any money. He's, he's had it, it's not worth, worth anything. And I'm sure there was sorrow and I'm sure there was hardship, but there was still this strength about this man that I could see because he knew Jesus. Because he had Jesus in him, because he was drawing from something that was outside of himself. And Paul writes to the Romans when they were going through trials and struggles, and he says that even in the midst, you are more than conquerors. He says in Romans 8, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who brings any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justified. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. 
And then it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. In knowing Christ, in the promises of God, despite everything happening externally to us, there is a joy and a strength and a sense of a conquer or strength that can, we can have in the midst of these challenges. Peter writes to the early church, he says, in all of these things you rejoice, greatly rejoice. Though for now, well, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Here it's not you will have joy when the trial is over, but in the midst of the trial, there is joy for you in Christ, he says. You know, when a tree is in drought, when a tree is going through tough times, the natural thing for a tree to do is to begin to put down deep roots, to continue to seek water, to continue to find it, to get deeper and stronger. And similarly, in life, these tough times, these trials in life are an opportunity to go deeper into Jesus, to put our roots deeper down into him. The psalmist writes this way, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I had trial, I wandered away from you, God. When, when things were all good, I wandered away from you. But now I obey your word. You are good and do what is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all of my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. He even says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees as a turning back to God, a drawing from God. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands pieces of silver and gold. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. It's interesting in, in, the, strength, in the, the, the strength that can come from trials as we put our roots in Christ. And that'll give us a strength for the future as well. So this deep-seated joy or deep-seated happiness, the second question I said we would ask is, why is it so elusive a quick Google search, actually, it's interesting what comes up in the predictive searches. If you, if you put, how can I be uh, happy, comes up the top as one of the most searched things. How can I be happy? There's a deep longing for happiness and deep-seated long uh, contentment, but it can be so elusive as we look at this passage, this, there's a comparison between two ways to live. There's, there's a sense of following God's way, God's created way, his teaching, his way, leads to the life of the tree. 
But then there's the life of the ungodly, is what it says, or wicked is translated at times, ungodly, which is just simply an ignorance of God or a forgetting of God or a going the own way that leads to chaff. That's the picture that it's given. And the blessed way is meaning turning or says to turn away from the advice of the wicked or to stand in that way, to live in that way, rejecting God. But in our culture today, we live in a culture that has turned away from God, haven't we? We live in a culture that says there is no God. We live in a culture where it's increasingly say, it says there, there's no right or wrong. Um, you can just do what you want. Do whatever feels right at the time, what is best for you, that will lead to happiness. You are in charge. There's no moral guidelines, no moral compass above us. You are free. And you would think that that would lead to freedom and happiness. But what this passage is saying is that life, a life of removing God, is likened to chaff. Now, chaff was, it's an, again, an agricultural term. When you, when you uh, winnow wheat or on the threshing floor, they would get the wheat and they would separate the chaff from the kernel of wheat. And the chaff was just the husk around the wheat. And so as you threw it up in the air, the wind would blow the chaff and it would just be thrown out. And the kernel of wheat would stay. That was what had nourishment. That's what had life and was, was useful. But the chaff was worthless. The chaff, as it says in this passage, would just blow away in the wind. And there's this picture of, of the life that does not follow the way of God or is separated from God just blows away in the wind. I mean, how could it not? There is nothing to anchor. What's going to anchor us in morality? What's going to anchor us at all? What's outside of us to give strength? It's just blown away like chaff. It said, the best things the world has to, to offer us to, to, to have happiness or deep-seated joy, maybe you would say it would be success. But it's short and it's fleeting. It can be taken in any moment. There's nothing wrong with it. But that success can give us all the joy that success can give us. That's all it has. It's limited and it's finite and it's fleeting. And even when we have success, we always want more success. Maybe the world without God, the best it could give us in terms of joy and lasting joy is materialism. But similarly, the more money we have, the more things we have, the more we might want. There's a longing, but in a moment, it could be taken away from us. Popularity, relationships, what does the world have to offer? If you take God out of the picture, this, this passage says it's like chaff. It's fleeting. It's not like that strong tree that's anchored and solid and stable no matter what the situation and circumstance. It's blown away. I remember as a, an 18-year-old, I often um, say this was the greatest year of my life and actually with the interns last year, I said uh, this was one of the greatest years of my life and I still didn't know God and they all laughed at that. And I probably should reflect on the words that I speak there, but it was an amazing year. As an 18-year-old, I'd just left school. I'd moved to Brisbane. Uh, I'd moved to a college campus and started university there. I was playing cricket. Uh, I, I was 
pursuing a cricket career and I was playing at a high level. I loved that. It was amazing. There's a lot of kudos that came with that around the college. Uh, I lived in the college and there's, popular, there's a sense of popularity because I was um, playing cricket, because the parties that we went to. And then I also um, had a girlfriend. And at 18, I thought, this is incredible. This was the life. I, I mean, I'd just left grade 12 and a year on, all of these things had happened. But then two years later, I'd broken up with the girl. My cricket career wasn't heading in the same trajectory. And this life that I was living was so empty. And I found the, the best things that the world would offer me in terms of lasting joy and contentment and fulfilment could be taken away just like that. And praise God, that's what led me to turn back to him. This passage says these things as we seek them are fleeting. Why is it elusive? Because it can't be found outside of God. Tim Keller gives a second reason that it can be elusive. And even for us as Christians, he said, if your highest priority is happiness, it will always remain elusive. Let me say that again. If your highest priority is happiness, it will always remain elusive. Tim Keller says, the word doesn't say, blessed is the man who seeks and thirsts after blessedness. He said that the Bible says, blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will come after that. There's a fundamental difference. And the Bible says as we put God first, as we trust God and as we look to God, we will receive that blessing. It's a secondary thing. It's a byproduct of finding ourselves in God, turning to him. It's interesting, even the, the verse that um, David read earlier, blessed is the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed, meaning content, happy, full of joy, but it's not because they're seeking that, it's because they have a pure heart and they're seeking God. Let me give you an illustration. If, if your, your fundamental, um, most important principle is happiness, you might say to me, I believe in honesty, I believe in integrity, but there are times that it's not as important. So for instance, if you have a business and there's a deal that's going to be done, but you know that there's got to be some dishonesty to receive that deal. And you know that your happiness, your well-being is in jeopardy if you tell the truth. In that moment, there's a clash of what's more important to you, righteousness and truth or happiness. And, and Keller says, if, if happiness is always our number one priority, we will never find it. But as we seek first God and as we seek first his kingdom, that happiness and that peace and that contentment will come. As the prodigal son came back to his father, he received all the blessing of the father. But he came to the father and said, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God. Let me be a servant. That was his attitude. And all things were added to him. The prodigal son didn't come home and say, Dad, I'm coming back home. Let's have a party. Can I have the robe? Can I have the ring? Can I have the authority? And then I'll come. No, the prodigal son just came up and said, well, 
God, Father, I've sinned against you, and then all things were added. And thirdly, we ask the question, uh, how do we find this happiness? How do we find it? And in the verse 2, it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on his law day and night. There's this connection with the word of God that as he meditates on it, as he lives by it, it connects him to that living source, that stream of water, that stream of life that he has. I'm always challenged by um, those in the underground church or the persecuted church that have no access to the scriptures. There's a story of um, Brother Yun as a 16-year-old. He came to know Jesus. This is in China. And he asked his mum, he said, how do I find out about Jesus? And she said, well, well, Jesus, you want to find out about Jesus, you, you read the Bible. And he says, well, where do I get a Bible? And there's no Bibles. So this young boy fasted and prayed for 100 days that he might find a Bible. And through a miraculous event, a man knocked on his door and brought him this Bible. And he treasured it. He delighted in it. He began memorising it one chapter a day, not reading one chapter a day, but memorising one chapter a day. And there's stories in the Chinese underground church that they would have one Bible and they would split it up and they'd give it to each other. And they'd memorise that and then pass it around that they might all have access or have the Bible or the Scriptures in their heart, they treasured it, they delighted in it. It was a priority for them. That's what we see here. And he meditated on it day and night. There's this sense of ruminating on it, sitting on it. Uh, unfortunately, I have really bad teeth. Um, I, it's not good, I don't like it, it's expensive. I uh, ignore going to the dentist because more recently I, I, I ate a minty and it broke off one of, the, one of my teeth. So whenever I eat a hard lolly, uh, like a minty, I, I try and avoid it, but sometimes I do, I would put it in my mouth and I would just sit it there on my tongue. And then every now and then I'd just move it around my mouth and you'd just get the flavour of it and then you'd sit there again and they just move it around slowly, you know what I mean? You're just sucking on this lolly and, and you're getting the flavour of the lolly over time. This word meditating on the Word of God is just like that. It's like knowing the Word of God, just even a little bit of the Word of God, having it in your mind and your heart, just tossing it around in your mind and heart, allowing it to speak to you, asking questions of it, coming back. A bit like marinating, like uh, you might put a, a roast and you marinate the meat and the, the flavour begins to seep into it as it sits in it. This picture we have is of a man or, or a woman, the blessed person, sitting and marinating in the Word of God. What does that look like? What does that look like practically? Well, Maybe you are very aware of your own sin. Maybe you're full of guilt. Well, let's put a scripture up. Scripture from Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. Just one simple verse. And there it is, you're in your, your guilt and your sin, and then you read that and you think, wow, how far is the east from the west? That's a long way, isn't it? East and west, that's a long way. That's how far God's taken my sin from me. Wow, that's incredible. Wow. Thanks, God. You mean there's no punishment for me that God actually sort of forgets about my sin? 
Whoa, that's incredible, God. And before long, you've moved from guilt to praise. Your heart's heavy to your heart is light as the word of God takes hold in your heart. Maybe you're driving to work and you've got a a problem that is bigger than you can imagine. You think, how am I ever going to sort this out? And you might think of Isaiah 40.12. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands and with the breadth of his hand marked out the heavens? And you just begin sitting, just to let that saturate your mind and your heart. And you think, well, let's imagine the waters of this earth, all the oceans. I wonder how many litres, megalitres that is. And he holds that in the hollow of his hand. That's incredible. How big's God? God is amazing. And it says he marks out the breadth of the heavens, the galaxies, just with his hand. Just with his hand, that God measures the galaxies just with his hand. How how big is God? And you begin to meditate and all of a sudden you say, well, God, I've got this problem at work. Do 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 you think I could put it in those hands? Do you think I could put it in your hands? And all of a sudden, meditating upon God's word has brought a lightness into your heart because you aligned it with truth. Maybe you are wondering about eternity and the hope in this world. And then you read a passage like John 14, 3, and it says, Jesus saying, I go and prepare a place for you. I'll come and take you to be where I am. Well, where's Jesus? Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is eternal. He's actually making a place for me. I mean, here I am in earth. I'll pass away from here one day that Jesus is personally preparing a place for me. Whoa, that's incredible. With Jesus, like I'll be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And He's going to come and personally take me. As you meditate upon that scripture, all of a sudden you are filled with hope. Maybe you've got a difficult relationship at work and you read, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Some of you are like, how are you going to get hope out of that one? That's hard. Love your enemies. But you start to think about Jesus. How how did Jesus live? Think of Jesus on the cross praying for those who are actually killing him and forgiving them in that moment. You think, oh, Jesus, you can love like that. And, oh, you asked me to pray for those that are persecuting me. Okay, Lord, help me to pray for these people. And then all of a sudden your heart is changed as you continue to dwell and to meditate on the word of God. Church, I want to ask us the question, what is our relationship with the Word of God going to look like in 2020? As we look at this vision of being big, strong trees, immovable, fruitful in our lives, it comes through a connection with the living God and our external source. Maybe you think of, if you don't have some devotional material, find some devotional material And a little excerpt of the Bible followed with application, maybe the daily bread or encounter with God. There's heaps of them online. Maybe if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, there's there's heaps of reading plans on a Bible app on your phone that in the quiet moments of the day, you could just read even just one verse, just like that. One verse and allow that to seep into your heart. There's probably many of you, you know, maybe don't like reading, but in the Bible app, you can just press play and just listen to the Word of God come through your ears and come into your heart. 
As Jody mentioned earlier, soon we'll have a, a church-wide series connect group. Find yourself in a Bible study group where you can encourage one another with the Word of God that we can build ourselves into these strong trees. KYB as well for the ladies. Right now, Media, the church has a partnership with like the Christian Netflix of, of Christian teaching. You can hook up and get any number of um, messages from right now media that we might delight in the word of God and what happens if we don't delight there are seasons I want to say that actually there are seasons in our life where we don't delight we're not like brother you and we just want to get as much scripture into our life it's it's busy it's hard our heart is not delighting well the first thing I would say is just to admit it and to say God help me Help me to delight in your word. Help me to long for your word more than the other things that I'm longing for in my heart and my, my mind and to pray and ask him to change. And just to take a simple verse, even if it starts with one verse a day, and just to meditate and allow that to change our life. Because isn't it an amazing vision of that tree planted beside the living water? connected to the living water, connected to Jesus, His life flowing in us. Just as, as I wrap up, I wonder if we would just stand together as I pray over us as a church into 2020. And just stand with me. And I'm just going to pray and just ask that we would be people of the Word, connected into God's Word. And just pray with me. Lord, I firstly want to thank you for the hope, the happiness, the joy, the deep-seated joy and life that you offer us, each one of us. And it's to all of us here right now. That in turning to you and receiving you, that life of yours comes inside of us. I want to thank you, Lord God, that we do not have to trust in the things of this world to give us that joy and that happiness, but it comes through you. And Lord, I want to pray that we would be people that would connect deeply, that would delve deeply into your word, deeply into your truths. And Father, I want to particularly pray for any that feel like they're in a drought or difficult time or challenging time now, that, Lord, even today, they, you might help them just trust you, just look to you, just draw from you, not from their self. They don't, none of us have the resources, but, Lord, to draw from you who promised those resources. And, Lord, now as a church, we want to pray, God, that we would be people of the Word, people meditating on it, seeking it, delighting in it, and even where you are now, maybe just put out your hands and say, Lord, I just want to receive your word. I just want to be hungry for your word this year. What, what, what you have to say to me, continue to guide me, Lord. And Father, we pray that within our community, within our families, within our workplaces, Lord, we could be strong trees. No matter what the circumstances be, we would be fruitful full of love, full of grace, full of generosity, full of kindness in these places, not because of who we are, but because we're connected to the one who has life. Lord, thank you for this hope. Thank you for this reality. Thank you that, Lord, we can turn to you and find life in you.
in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to conclude our service by singing a song, God, I look to you, to speak to the orientation of our life, coming back to you, coming back, turning our life towards God. We'll continue to sing now. Well, God, we stand here as people knowing that you reign, knowing that you are king, knowing that you are sovereign, knowing that you are the God who spoke the world into being, the one that holds it in the palm of your hand. And Father, we proclaim here, we rest in the reality that life comes from you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for connecting us to the source of life. And Father, we pray that we would be people of life, people connected to that deep stream of life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Thanks so much for being with us here this morning. And too, if, if you're visiting or you haven't got one of these Bibles, we have Bible packs for you. Just come and grab one here at the front. And also, if you're new, there is a Welcomers Lounge. We'd love to give you a free coffee just through here at the back as well. Thanks so much and have a great day.